0: Jesus Christ did not say, go make disciples. It's not in your Bible. He did say, go therefore and make disciples. And this morning's sermon is an attempt to get you to appreciate why that matters. To get you to appreciate what the therefore is therefore, and why go therefore is much better news than just go because of certain facts about Jesus. So here we are, we're coming to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And really, it's, it's, it's been for this. It's been for this passage. We started this Gospel in November of 2020 to get here this summer. And so I'm excited. Here we have the last words, and last words are lasting words, especially in this case, we call these last three verses the Great Commission, rightly so. That term was actually pretty recently coined by the missionary Hudson Taylor in the 19th century, after the church had neglected, tragically had neglected this Great Commission for centuries. Really every branch of the Christian church, East, West, even Reformational, neglected this foundational call. The Reformers thought that it had already been fulfilled. Well, the gospel did go past Jerusalem, and so they didn't see it as an ongoing mandate until... We had some Catholic missions in the 1500s, Francis Xavier, Matteo Ricci. Then you have the Moravians. Do y'all know about the Moravians? Man, that would be worthy of some reflection. And then you have William Carey, and we typically attribute William Carey as is, is the founder of the modern missions movement. And in his circles in England, he was surrounded by a bunch of what we call hyper-Calvinists. Hyper-Calvinists are those who believe that because God is sovereign over all things, basically we don't have to do anything. God will do it. And so with missions, they thought, well, we don't have to go preach the gospel. Why? Because God's going to save his elect. He's chosen and he's going to do it. We don't have to get involved. Well, William Carey was not a hyper-Calvinist. He was just a normal Calvinist who read his Bible. And here's what he said. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God's going to accomplish his will. Yes, God does declare the end from the beginning. But God uses means to that end. And yes, God is sovereign, but his people, we are responsible for our actions. And so he wrote this treatise in 1792. Here's the title. An inquiry into the obligation of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen. Nations. And so I want to show you why that's still the case. In this great commission, I want to show you why it's three verses. It's not two verses. Cody Bingham used to joke that if you Around Southside, if you quoted the Great Commission and you just quoted Matthew 28, 19, and 20, without Matthew 28, 18, you might get fired. That's still true. (laughs) Here's the main point Jesus is the world's true Lord. So turn over to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, you'll want one. You can grab one there in your chair. It's page 784, the very end of the first book of our New Testament. And we're going to do a lot of Bible study this morning. I need to make a case. I need you to be thoroughly convinced about this from God's Word. Again, we're building a foundation here. So we're laying a biblical and theological foundation this morning. So it's not a normal sermon. In some ways, it's not a good sermon. But it's necessary. We've got to build the foundation for the next three weeks or four weeks or five weeks. We'll see what the Spirit does. But even more than that, what we want to do is build a foundation for your whole life not just for this summer series in these three verses. So we're going to focus here on verse 18, but let me just read it again. Twenty-eight, eighteen. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember where we've been in Matthew, and, and basically the, the behavior of the disciples has been pathetic, right? They abandon them. They're embarrassed. They're not around. There was these faithful ladies around. But notice verse 18 there. Jesus comes to them. He steps toward his disciples, not away from them. Even though that's what they deserve—they're faithless cowards—but he comes near because he knows that they are but dust. It's what he works with, and he makes this great declaration. So this week we're talking about the power of the risen King. Next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, and maybe the week after that, we're going to talk about the plan of the risen King, and then we'll close out with the presence, the power, the plan, and the presence. Of the risen king. And he makes this great declaration: all authority has been given to me. And notice that that verb there, given. Hey, wait a minute, isn't he the son? Isn't he part of the triune Godhead? Hadn't he always had all authority? Well, in a sense, yes, but in another sense, no. All authority was not given to Jesus until after the resurrection and ascension. So, yes, as the son of God, he's always possessed authority, but now he speaks as the one who has authority as a victor. He was the son before the resurrection, but he wasn't the victor yet. So here we have this achieved authority. Here we have this earned lordship. The spoils of victory are now his. After the cross, Jesus is raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the father and enthroned as king. Listen to the way it's put in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 30. This is early, early, right? The Spirit has just been poured out. And listen to the message in Acts 2 and 30. Being, therefore, a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, David, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption, this Jesus God raised up, and of that were all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, and he quotes Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, King. This Jesus, whom you crucified, because of what he's done, God therefore on the basis of that God has now made him this, we see the same thing in the book of Romans. Romans one one to four is a really good short summary of the gospel, summary of the whole letter. So Romans one says this: Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son. So notice, he was already the son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power. So he was already the son, but with a resurrection, he's declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We see the same thing in the book of Philippians. Paul's talking about Jesus who emptied himself and who died on the cross, even death on a cross. And Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore, because he died on the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You get the idea, right? It's this earned lordship that he now has. Hebrews 2.9 says, We do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, became a man, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So now after the cross and resurrection, Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Notice he doesn't just, doesn't just say, well, he has all authority on earth. And he doesn't just say he has all authority in heaven. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 1.19 puts it this way, that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. John Stott says his authority on earth Allows us to dare to go to all the nations. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success. And his presence with us leaves us no other choice. So Jesus Christ has all authority, universal authority. Did you notice those four alls in this passage? Look again at 2818. All authority. And then 19, we are to go make disciples of all nations, and then 20, we teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded, and there in verse 20 at the end, Jesus is with us always. He's the king. That's what Christ means. Instead of saying Jesus Christ, we ought to say King Jesus, because that's what they would have heard in the first century. Christ is not his last name. It's not a name, it's a claim. He's the king. He has executive power. He's the chief executive officer of the entire universe. Truly, he's got the whole world in his hands. The whole wide world in his hands. All other authorities have been subordinated to his authority. Doesn't matter what CNN might say, doesn't matter what Fox News might say, he's at the helm of the cosmos. John Piper put it this way, if you gathered all the authority of all the governments and armies of the world and put them on the scales with the authority of the risen Christ, they would go up in the balance like air. The famous philosopher Abraham Kuyper said, there's not a square inch on planet earth over which the sovereign Christ does not say, mine. So after the resurrection and after the ascension, enthronement exaltation. Jesus is the new world emperor. You know, we've seen a lot of passages in Matthew over the last few years about Jesus being enthroned as the son of man. Back in chapter 10 and in 16 and in 24 and in 26, that the son of man will be enthroned. This is what he's getting at. And remember in those passages, when we see Son of Man, we need to think about the book of Daniel because Jesus is quoting the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and he's doing the same thing here in these verses. And I want to show you, so I'm going to put it on the screen. This is Daniel 7. That was one of Jesus' favorite passages. And remember what we've seen again and again and again. When we see the Son of Man coming, we've been kind of trained to think second coming. And that's not what the passage teaches. It's not a coming. It's not a coming from heaven to earth, but it's an ascension from earth to heaven. We've seen that again and again and again. That's why he can say the Son of Man will come within a generation. Well, it's not because of the second coming, obviously, no, because he was exalted, okay? So listen. Listen to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming from earth to heaven, ascending, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. He goes from earth to the Father and was led into his presence. He was given. There's your verb, edothe. It's the exact same verb and form that Jesus uses in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. All authority has been given to me. He was given authority. The word is exousia. It's the same word Jesus uses in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. Glory. And sovereign power. And all the nations. It's three words. Ponta ta ethne. Jesus uses Matthew 28. And peoples. Of every language worshiped him. His dominion. It's the same word for authority. His authority is an everlasting authority that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus' language is laced with Daniel 7 language. Six verbs are used in the exact same way. What Jesus is wanting his people to know is that he is the enthroned son of man who will have a kingdom that will consist of all peoples of every language and his authority will be an everlasting authority. He is the enthroned son of man who will inherit all the nations and will usher in an everlasting kingdom. Therefore... Go, church, and make disciples of all nations. The Lord's prayer is being answered here, right? So what do we pray in Matthew 6.10? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is the Lord's prayer answered? Through the church obeying the great commission. God uses means. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer to help us fulfill the Great Commission, to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the king who has all authority in heaven and on earth and who through us is bringing the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. The kingdom has come. It's been the whole message of Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom. And the king here lays out his plans for world conquest. What he's saying is the king is here. I'm bringing it, and I'm going to bring it through you. That's why the very first message of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2 is the same message as Jesus. As he begins preaching in Matthew 4, 17, then what is it? It's the kingdom of God is here. Repent. And what is repentance? But turning from our way and turning towards the Lord's way. It's relinquishing self-rule and taking on the rule of Christ. So drop our agenda and take his agenda because he's now the king. So, the kingdom is the inbreaking of the rule of Jesus. I like Roy Dallas Willard talks about kingdoms, he said, a kingdom is the range of effective will. It's the range of effective will, meaning it's the space where you get what you want done and you have the right and power to get it done. So, Jesus is saying, the range of my effective will knows no bounds. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, which has been started when I came, and I'll finish it when I come again, now I have been given all authority. I have the right and power to accomplish my will. Therefore, because Jesus has all authority, where to go and where to go to make disciples of all the nations. John Dixon talks about the mission equation. It's really another way of talking about the Great Commission. But here's what it is the mission equation says this if there's one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance. Well, we've seen that. That's what verse 18 says. Then the people of that Lord must promote this reality everywhere. This is the mission equation. If there's one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance, the people of the Lord must promote this reality everywhere. And John Dixon in this uh, book, he talks about back in the 1930s, Back in 30s Detroit, uh, there was a bus ride, and so this guy's relaying his experience. He gets on the bus, him with a couple, couple guys, and they're young. They're just punks. They're just wanting to start trouble. They were the only ones on the bus except for this one fella in the very back. And so they, they sit a little bit, you know, make some distance, and they just start kind of messing with them and, hey, see if we can get this guy and jump him, see what he's got. So they're talking trash to him, and the guy just kind of slouched over in the back not really paying attention. So they ratchet it up a little bit, start talking more trash to him, see if they can get him riled up, and still in the back, he's, he's not moving. And so they just kind of give up and, uh, you know, ignore him. Well, a little bit later, the bus comes to a stop. The guy in the back gets up, and he'd been slashed, and he gets up, and he was much larger than these young guys had realized. And they became very thankful that they actually didn't get a response at him. And he walks by, and he just hands him a card, kind of looks smugly at him walks off the bus, and the card said, Joe Lewis, professional boxer. (laughs) These young thugs just tried to pick a fight with the Brown Bomber, the man who would go on to become the world heavyweight boxing champion from 1937 to 1949, man who was said to have been able to knock out a horse with one punch. I don't know what the horse did to deserve that. But this man was tough. But just imagine if we were friends, though. Say we were Joe's friends, and we're in the back, right? So here, you know, we're, we're small, uh, but we got Joe next to us, right? And so they start talking trash, and Joe's quiet. What would be, we be compelled to do? Probably start talking trash back, you know, because we could always hide behind Joe. But at the very least, we would have to inform them. Excuse me, do you know who this man is? These thugs would need to be informed that they were in the presence of greatness and didn't even know it. And church, every one of our acquaintances, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, they all live and breathe in the presence of the greatest Lord whose power makes Joe Lewis look like a handicapped grasshopper. And so we, the people of the one true Lord, must stand up on the bus and promote that reality everywhere. If there's one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance, the people of that Lord must promote it. It is because Jesus is who he is and has been given all authority in heaven and on earth that we're called to go and make disciples. And not just make disciples. What does he say in the passage? Make disciples of all the nations. It's word for nation. In singular, it's ethnos. But in plural, it's ethne. Jesus has all authority, therefore go and make disciples of the nations. So what does he mean here by ethne, nations? What does he mean? Well, in this context, it just means Gentiles. The world was really separated into two groups at the time. You had Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles. The word for Gentiles is ethne in the plural. The pagan nations. This word in the plural is used 130 times. And the ESV translates it as Gentiles, the vast majority of time, it's actually translated as nations only 33 times. 130 times, 33 nations, but the rest of the time, 97 other times, it's just Gentiles. It's the non-Jewish peoples of the world. Those who are separated from God and strangers to his promise. And so he says, go, make disciples of these populous Gentile world, all the way ultimately from Alaska to Abilene. Get the gospel out, as we're going to see when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 1. What did Jesus say? You're going to go, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so nations means any and all people, any and all Gentiles, non-Jews, Jews included, indiscriminately, all of them, go disciple them. Modern missions has had a little more narrow definition. It's not what Jesus means here. But I think it is helpful as we think about our task that's left. A good application now. An easy way to define a a nation or an ethnic group is how? Language. Language. That's why sometimes they're called language groups. Language is a defining mark of a people group. And so in missions, we talk a lot about unreached people groups, unreached language groups. And we need to get the gospel to all people groups. And there is a lot of work to do. We'll be talking more about this in weeks ahead. But there are about 7,000 people groups where Christ is largely unknown. Three billion people where Christ is largely unknown. And Jesus tells us to get the gospel to them. Again, we'll talk more about it. But if you're curious, I'd love to send you to a couple websites. Peoplegroups.org. Where you can learn and read and see maps. Or David Platt's Ministry Radical has Stratus.Earth, which is an amazing resource. So go check those out as we think about people groups. And God's plan from day one was to bless the nations, the ethne. The global purpose of God is the glad praise of Christ among all the nations, right from the beginning. It's what it always was. And so I, I want to flood you with some Bible. I encourage you not to worry about turning to these passages. I'll have them up here. I wouldn't even write them down. If you want the notes, the sermon manuscripts, is always on the website. You can get it later. I just want you to hear and just receive these verses like waves so that you might see that God's purpose has always been for all nations. His heart is for the nations. He starts in Genesis 1-1 where he creates a world. Ultimately, he's going to create all people. To spread his rule, of course, we know in Genesis 3 it doesn't go well. They would rather rule themselves than be ruled by God. God sends the flood, starts afresh with Noah, who's also a failure. And then we have Genesis chapter 12, which is one of the most important passages in the Bible. It's the formation of the people of God. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. The first part of that is the fact that basically Abram and his family are going to be blessed. You can summarize that. But then there's a purpose, and it's that last part of Genesis 12:3. Here's the purpose: And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So just think about how important this is. God is forming his people for the first time. Who are his people? It's going to be Abraham and his family, Israel, the people of God. And what's the purpose statement for the people of God, according to the very first passage about it? You're blessed in order to be a blessing. And not just to your people, but to all the families of the earth. That's the purpose right here. Blessed in order to be a blessing. The purpose of the people of God starts right here with an outward focus that hasn't changed. It's why we exist, the Southside Baptist Church. It's why your home group exists. It's why your D group exists. The church goes wrong when we start following the Pharisees instead of Jesus and huddle up in our little holy huddles. Genesis 18. He's going to basically repeat it. 18 verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, you'll be blessed, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed In Him, that little phrase there, all the nations—three words in the Greek Old Testament—it's Ponta all ta the ethne nations. Ponta ta ethne. What is God's purpose? That all the nations would be blessed. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17: I will surely bless you. Now speaking to Isaac. I'll surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that's on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall ponta ta ethne, all the nations of the earth, be blessed. Genesis chapter 26, he repeats it in verse 4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I'll give to your offspring all these lands. I'm going to bless you. And in your offspring... Ponta ethne, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 28 verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families or tribes of the earth be blessed. Out of all nations, God chose one nation. To bless all nations. We see it again and again and again. Genesis chapter 35, verse 11. God said to Jacob now, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. It won't just be you and your little nation. It'll be a company of nations. Ultimately, we know it'll be all nations. This is his plan. Genesis 49, verse 10 global purpose of god is the glad praise of the king among all nations genesis 49:10 the scepter shall not depart from judah in other words a member of judah's family is going to rule nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples plural for ethnē ethnōn this is god's purpose and plan then we have exodus where God's people are formed, they become a nation, they go in slavery, and then God frees them in the exodus, and what does he say about his people? Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. You know what it is in the Greek Old Testament? You'll never guess. Pontotot ethne. For all the earth is mine, and you'll be to me a kingdom of priests. So the whole nation here is to be a priest. They're to be a mediator between God and the nations. That's why he formed them, and that's why he placed them where he placed them. That was the purpose of their existence, blessed in order to be a blessing. Let me flip over to the Psalms. We see God's heart for the nations as clear as any in the book of Psalms. Let me start with Psalm chapter 2. a royal psalm, Psalm 2.6. This is the Old Testament version of the Great Commission. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Everywhere in the New Testament, 10 times in the New Testament, we're told that refers to the resurrection. Today I have become your father. Today I have begotten you. That passage Psalm 27 is fulfilled at the resurrection. Verse 8 of Psalm 2 says ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You see how it's the Old Testament version of the Great Commission. Great Commission says all authority has been given therefore go make disciples. The father promises the son. You've now been mine. You're mine now. Today you're my son. He's installed his son and king at the resurrection. Ask and I'll give you, my son, the nations as your inheritance. The king, once he's enthroned, will begin to inherit the nations. Psalm 22. Nathan turned us to a couple weeks back. Jesus quotes this psalm quite a bit. And how does he end? Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. God's heart has always been for the nations. Psalm 72. Another royal psalm about the coming king. Psalm 72 verse 8. May this king have dominion from sea to sea. From the river to the to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes, all the tribes of the earth, bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Why? Because he's the king of Genesis 3.15 who puts his enemies under his feet. Verse 10, may the kings of Tarshish, pagan Tarshish, and of the coastlands render him tribute. He will become the king over kings. May the king of pagan Sheba and Seba bring him gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations, ponsetal ethne, serve him. Psalm 72, 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continues as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. that sound familiar? Like those promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All the peoples of the earth be blessed in you. May peoples be blessed in him, this son of David. All nations Panta ta ethne, call him blessed. It's always been his plan. Then we read from the book of Isaiah chapter 2. His vision of the coming kingdom described as a temple mount. Isaiah 2.2. 2, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord is... Oh, that's one, two. Isaiah two, 2 It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and pontita ethne, all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word from Jerusalem. Jesus now is lifted up, not Jerusalem. Jesus is exalted, and now disciples now go to the nations because Jerusalem's now been destroyed. Jesus has been lifted up, and he's drawing all people to himself. What about the gospel of Luke, Luke's great commission? Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Jesus tells these disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were discouraged. They thought it was all over. And he tells them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to pontita ethne, all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. They were asking about it and Jesus said, didn't you know that all that, was, that needed to be fulfilled In the law, and the prophets, and in the Psalms, all that needed to be fulfilled. And here's what he tells them. You know what all that's about? You know what your whole Old Testament is about? Two things, according to Luke 24. Number one, the Messiah. Didn't it have to be fulfilled? Number two, mission. It's written, the Christ should suffer, verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. It's always been God's plan. God's plan's always been to install a king who would rule over all the nations. In the heart of Jesus for the nations, for the Gentiles, it's been one of the main themes that we've seen in Matthew right from the beginning. I'd like you to turn to this. Maybe your finger's still on Matthew 28. Go back all the way to the beginning. Let's see how Jesus has interacted with the nations in this gospel. Right from the beginning, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Who is this Jesus? How does does Matthew want us to be introduced to him? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the ultimate offspring of Abraham. He's the forever king who's forever one. It's through the offspring of Abraham that the world will be blessed. That's what he's telling us. And then in the very genealogy there, look at verse 3. We've got Tamar, look at verse 5. We've got Rahab, we've got Gentiles in the very bloodline of the king of Israel. Matthew wants to show us that in Jesus, in his own body, flows the blood of the nations of Canaanites and Moabites and the wife of a Hittite. Look at chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east, these are Gentiles, these are ethne, they came to Jerusalem. And they say, where is he who's born king of the Jews? So right from the beginning, he's drawing in the nations to worship the king. Look at Matthew chapter, I'm going to skip some here. Let's skip three nouns. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus beginning his ministry so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion, a pagan, Gentile, from the nations, Roman, he came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant's lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly, and he said to him, I'll come and heal him, but the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers unto me. And I say to one, go. And he goes, and another, come. And he comes and to my servant. Do this, and he doesn't. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So many ways, this is what got Jesus in trouble. Is he cared about the Gentiles. He cared about the nations. And Jewish leadership stamped him out because of it. They would have none of it. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Verse 47. parable of the net, a kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and it gathered fish of every kind. Flip over to Matthew 15, verse 24. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But this lady comes and she kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. And he answers, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, "Yes, Lord." Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered her, "Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire." And her daughter was healed instantly. She's a Canaanite woman from the nations. Flip over to Matthew chapter twenty-one, verse thirty-one. Jesus enters the temple, turns over the table, and says, "My house will be a house of prayer for." All nations. Twenty-one thirty-one. The parable of the two sons. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. He said, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Look at 2143. Jesus speaking to the Jewish leadership, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people. Ethnos, ethne, nation, producing its fruit. Flip over to Matthew chapter 24. Are you getting the picture? Just want to pound it home. We can't miss this. This is what the Pharisees missed. And we're prone to turn inward. The Spirit won't let us if we're reading his book. Twenty four fourteen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Flip over to twenty six, thirteen. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will be also told in memory of her. And then, what does our verse say? 28, 18. Look at it again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of Ponta Ta Ethne. All the nations. The global purpose of God has been clear from the very beginning, and it's the glad praise of the king among all the nations of the world. He's the king. He has all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, we go and we get this gospel about the king to the nations, to the ends of the earth. It's our marching orders. It's what we're here for. We're blessed. Oh, man, we're incredibly blessed. We've just been singing about how much we're blessed, but if we ever just circle in and our blessings stay here we've missed the purpose of our existence two appropriate responses to Matthew 28 18 obedience and optimism obedience he's the king we say it again it's our common confession Jesus is Lord but is he though He has all authority, so we must obey him. And since he has all authority, it's not just obey him on an hour on Sunday mornings. No, we obey him in all parts of life. Universal authority leads to universal marching orders. And so every aspect of our life is to be brought under his authority, brought under his lordship. And so we obey him in every part of our life, our personal lives, our financial lives, marital lives, familial lives, vocational lives. He's sovereign over it all. He's got all authority in heaven and on earth. His rule has a bearing on everything, on science and art and agriculture, law, economics, education, psychology, philosophy. Remember what Kuiper said? There's not a square inch on planet Earth where the sovereign Christ doesn't say it's mine. And so we ought to obey him. He's the authoritative one. Second, we need to be optimistic in our obedience. Jesus is the world's true Lord. Do you believe it? He has all authority and he's for us. He's defeating our enemies on our behalf. That's what he did in Matthew chapter 12. He's bound the strong man and he's plundering his goods. Matthew 16, he made a promise. I will build my church. He's going to do it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And again, how does he use it? How does he build his church? He uses means. He doesn't do it without you and I. I going to be optimistic. It's going to happen. He's going to do it. I get to be a part of it. That's why I love William Carey again. William Carey said, we should expect great things from God. Look at the promises we've seen. We should expect great things from God, and we should therefore attempt great things for God. Expect and attempt. He will claim the nations. And how will he do it? By disciples who make disciples who make disciples of all the nations. Because he has all authority, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. And we get to be a part of it. The gospel will prevail. The kingdoms of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. We may not see it in our lifetime. I doubt we will. It goes very slow, right? Jesus taught us that in Matthew 13 and his parables on the kingdom. When he wants us to know the natures of the kingdom, he gives us a couple metaphors. And they're really slow, right? One is like this little bitty mustard seed. Starts as the smallest, but over time, it grows to become the largest of the trees. Or it's like just putting in a little leaven in some bread. And over time, it grows. So be optimistic. Be encouraged. It went from 12 dudes to 2 billion people. And we're only 2,000 years in. What if he gives us another 10,000 years? Who knows? But what we do know is the kingdom will prevail. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. He wins, therefore we win. And so we ought to be an optimistic people about the mission that God's called us to. Jesus is the Christ. He's the risen and reigning king. He's the king of the cosmos. He's the CEO of the universe. He's the world's true Lord, and he is inheriting the nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations because he's the risen and reigning king with all authority. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach, and we'll spend the next several weeks looking more at what that looks like. Pray with me.